Y mueren también con sus promesas crueles La inspiración que un día le brindé Con candor el alma entera yo le di Pensando en nuestro idilio consagrar Sin pensar ya lo que buscaba en mí era el amor de loca juventud. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is African Dialogue, right here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Let me let you know what's happening today on our program. We'll be discussing progress and challenges facing President Muhammadu Buhari as Nigerians look up to him and his administration in 2016. That's what we'll be doing, looking at President Muhammadu Buhari and his cabinet. But hey, let's quickly move on. And Moose is already standing by to give us our news. In the headlines, members of the new Libyan unity government announced under a UN-backed plan the opposition in Burundi to boycott the launch of an inter-Burundian dialogue and Tanzanian police arrest more than 80 Ethiopian migrants believed to be heading to South Africa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The makeup of a new Libyan government of national accord aimed at uniting the country's warring factions has been announced. A Tunis-based presidential council formed under the plan named a total of 32 ministers. The council had pushed back the deadline for naming the government by 48 hours amid reports of disputes over the distribution of ministerial posts. The opposition in Burundi says it will boycott the launch of an inter-Burundian dialogue organized by an ad hoc committee set up by the government. The talks are aimed at finding solution to the political crisis that has engulfed the country. The start of the dialogue will coincide with the imminent arrival in the capital, Bujumbura, of a delegation of the United Nations Security Council. President of the National Commission of the Inter-Burundian Dialogue, Bishop Justice Nzo Saba, says the commission is expected to cooperate with the Ugandan facilitation. The relationship with the Burundian dialogue and the mediation is that uh, we have to collaborate. For example, what we are doing tomorrow, we have invited him. They will reach those people who, whom we cannot reach. And we, we are going to dialogue with people at the grassroots whom they can't reach. We have where to reach, they have where to reach. The bodies of four Kenyan soldiers killed in Somalia have arrived in Nairobi. Kenya is yet to give casualty figures following Friday's dawn assault on African Union military bases in Somalia. Al-Shabaab, which claimed responsibility for the attack, said about 100 Kenyans were killed and that armaments and military vehicles were also seized following the attack. Kenya's Defense Secretary Rachel Omamo says more bodies are expected in Nairobi within the course of the week. Search rescue and recovery operations are ongoing and consequently 
We expect to receive more of our soldiers in the coming days and we will keep you uh, abreast of these developments as the operations continue. Tanzanian police have arrested more than 80 Ethiopian migrants believed to be heading to South Africa. The migrants were found in the back of a truck that was headed towards the Tanzania-Malawi border. Regional Commander Peter Kakamba says most were dehydrated and could have died. They were given first aid and food. Last year, some 100 illegal Ethiopian migrants were arrested in a similar exercise. In 2012, 40 illegal migrants from Ethiopia were also found dead after they suffocated in Inside a truck transporting them. And finally, a third round of aid has been delivered to besieged Syrian towns. The United Nations, the International Committee of the Red Cross, and the Syrian Arab Red Crescent made deliveries to the towns of Zabadani and Madaya, which are near the Lebanese border and surrounded by government forces, and to Fuwa and Kafraya in Idlib province, which are surrounded by rebel groups. Access to the towns, which pe- where people are reported to have died of starvation, was granted in January as part of a deal following negotiations between warring sides and humanitarian agencies. Recapping the top stories, members of the new Libyan unity government announced under a UN-backed plan the opposition in Burundi is to boycott the launch of an inter-Burundian dialogue and Tanzanian police arrest more than 80 Ethiopian migrants believed to be heading to South Africa. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Well, today on our program, we are focusing on Nigeria. Thank you for joining us. Remember that you can join us online on our Twitter handle, at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. And also, you can go to our Facebook page called Channel Africa. That's the page, Channel Africa. Today, we're focusing on President Muhari, uh, Buhari, uh, Muhammadu Buhari, rather. Uh, President uh, Muhammadu Buhari has declared that his administration will make tough decisions in the 2016 fiscal year. He, however, said that uh, this does not necessarily mean increasing the level of pain already being experienced by most Nigerians. Buhari said that this, while presenting the 2016 budget to the National Assembly, uh, the president said in spite of the global economic uncertainties, the government must remain steadfast in the commitment to steering Nigeria back to greatness. We know that also the oil price there has done something to the economy in Nigeria. And what we'll start off this conversation with our first guest, Natsenet Bilay, who is the Africa Director research and in Research and Advocacy for Amnesty International. That's the Africa Director for Research and Advocacy at Amnesty International. Natsenet, Happy New Year and thank you for joining us on our program once again. Thank you very much for having me. Now, it would seem President Muhammadu Buhari is well on track in realizing promises he made to the Nigerian population in his election manifesto. Uh, now we've already seen uh, latest developments where several senior officials of uh, Mr. John, uh, with Mr. Jonathan's government have been arrested in relation to the alleged diversion of uh, $2 billion meant to buy weapons to fight Boko Haram militants. Uh, uh, where are we when it comes to his uh, uh, type of uh, presidency? We've seen that it seems to have been very, very strong. Well, thank you very much. Well, we, we've taken due note of uh, President Buhari's measures taken in the fight against corruption in the country. Um, and while Amnesty International does not carry out specific research in the area of corruption in Nigeria, 
uh, we, uh, you know, we've taken note as serious measures is taken to uh, investigate even the senior most officials implicated in corruption activities. However, we're very much concerned that uh, one, one other promise he made um, you know, soon after assuming office, and in fact even before assuming office, uh, was about countering, addressing serious human rights violations and, and gross crimes being committed in Nigeria in the context of the conflict with Boko Haram. We were really sad to hear so far that the president nor his administration has taken any meaningful steps to address those violations. As you may recall, Amnesty International, amongst with many other human rights organizations, um, have published several reports uh, last year outlining a catalog of crimes uh, international crimes, including crimes against humanity and war crimes being committed by uh, Boko Haram itself, but also by Nigerian military in the Northeast. Um, this is a trait which is still continuing. We still continue to document violations and crimes in this regard. But to the best of our knowledge and understanding, the president and his administration are yet to take any meaningful step to address this huge impunity gap we see in Nigeria. In response to that, uh, just to hear your views on uh, the Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari last week promised to launch a new investigation into the April 2014 kidnapping of more than 200 schoolgirls by Boko Haram Islamists after that emotional meeting with some of the parents that uh, was conducted last week. Uh, he has made his promises even during his election campaign. Do you think that uh, this time around we'll see actually something more concrete coming out from his declarations when it comes to this issue of the 200 girls? Well, we've seen so much promises, um, but little deliver in this area. I mean, it should be noted that Amnesty International exposed soon after the abduction of Chibo girls that the Nigerian military knew of the impending attack against the school in Chibok and the possible uh, kidnapping of those girls, but did not take any steps to, uh, to save those girls from abduction. Uh, we estimate that over 2,000 people may have been abducted by Boko Haram since the conflict started. Uh, previous government administration has claimed to have carried out successive investigations into it, uh, and inquiries, but to date we have not seen any results around it. Um, so our call broadly is that promises need to be matched by action. Um, to date our understanding is that while the military has reported to have recovered some abducted uh, civilians, still thousands remain unaccounted for, and the military's failure um, in, in, in protecting civilians uh, from Boko Haram is yet to be investigated, individuals to be held accountable. Well, that's also an interesting take there in terms of uh, some of, of those views that you've highlighted. Uh, so, so what do you think is the major obstacle here that um, uh, the Nigeria as a country is having in terms of dealing with the terrorism issue? I know that it's one that's very hard to track, not just in Nigeria, but also in other countries uh, on the continent and also internationally. It's not something that's simple that you can actually just uh, dismantled in a day. And um, what are the major key challenges in this regard? Um, We very much agree with that. Um, I mean, the current threat we're seeing posed by radical armed groups across the world is is a very serious challenge, to a certain extent unprecedented in terms of the the frequency of the attacks against civilians, the tactics used, and etc., and Nigeria is by no means an exception to all of that. I mean, we've seen over the weekend what has happened in Burkina Faso, Ogadougou, where uh, you know, s- uh, several civilians have, have died, um, including uh, two, two individuals who are actually associated with Amnesty International as our consultants. And so it's a huge, huge threat. There's no denying that. And Nigeria is facing um, a serious challenge in countering uh, such attacks by Boko Haram. But at the same time, uh, you know, this is an observation we've been making across the world, including Nigeria. Um, governments cannot fight, cannot address such a threat uh, by groups like Boko Haram uh, by committing further atrocities themselves. It only fuels and perpetuates a cycle of impunity, a cycle of violence, 
that will not address the key structural fundamental issues that are resulting in, in this radicalization. At the very least, governments need to ensure that their security measures against uh, radical groups are measured and consistent with their obligations domestically and under international law. And the message is simple. Do not arrest, arbitrarily arrest individuals. Do not torture, execute civilians, um, and respect the rules of the war. I think these are the minimum requirements that states are obliged to respect in their fight against armed groups. Regrettably, the pattern we see across the world and, and quite significantly worryingly in Nigeria is that the heavy-handed response by military and security agencies uh, and indiscriminate attack against civilians in the fight against Boko Haram is perpetuating the cycle of violence, unfortunately. And, and mm -hmm. no one has been held accountable for these violations. Well, we'll come back to some of those particular themes. We're joined by Natanet Belay, who is the Africa Director of Research and Advocacy from Amnesty International. Today, we're looking at uh, the presidency and the cabinet of President Muhammadu Buhari. It seems there has been some optimism that has been around his presidency, the crackdown on um, the whole corruption issue in uh, Nigeria. But we see that there's still a problem of uh, the terrorism issue as highlighted there by Netanet Belay. What are your thoughts around the presidency currently of Muhammadu Buhari? Has he made uh, some impressions on you on, you, on his last, uh, uh, last few months that he has been uh, president in the country? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or give us your thoughts on uh, our African dialogue handle on, on Twitter it's at African Dialogue, at African Dialogue. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five. Or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at channelafrica numerical one. Or write to us at the address PO Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, this is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Time right now is 17 minutes past 11 o'clock. That's Central African time. Uh, remember that we want to hear from you. Do you think that uh, President Muhammadu Buhari is doing well in his first months in his administration in Nigeria? Give us your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We're right now speaking to Netanyahu. Bilay, who is uh, from Amnesty International, looking at some of the other themes in terms of uh, some of the challenges that uh, uh, face uh, uh, the president of Nigeria currently. We know that uh, uh, like Jonathan, the previous uh, president, had a lot of issues that he had to deal with, especially the separation of the ethnic divisions of uh, the Christians and the Muslims in the country or the northern and southern regions of uh, Nigeria. In terms of that particular aspect of things, Netanet. Do you think that uh, we've seen a form of uh, unification within the country uh, with uh, President Muhammadu Buhari? Have we seen kind of a different stance that uh, kind of a more, um, you know, stable uh, relationships between the North and South and, you know, the issues of ethnic divisions? Have they been dealt with? Um, we haven't done a specific study as to whether the conflict in the Northeast is explained by ethnic or religious divisions within Nigerian society, and and we have not found a pattern that actually suggests of this nature. And the challenge in the Northeast is is clearly a significant threat posed on civilians 
by an extremely radical armed group uh, that has in complete disregard of humanity and, and laws and, and, and behavior that is massacring, attacking civilians. Um, so it is a criminality, you know, the worst kind that's happening in the Northeast. Um, I think Nigerians from all walks of life, Muslims and Christians, have been unified in condemning uh, Boko Haram's attacks against civilians. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, one must closely look into uh, some of the behaviors, the current behaviors um, of the Nigerian military and, and, and query whether the government is still making the same mistake that created Boko Haram itself. I mean, if you may recall, uh, you know, Boko Haram, one of the immediate causes that triggered violent reaction by the Boko Haram group was a brutal murder of its leadership by the Nigerian military back in 2009. Um, prior to that, Boko Haram was not engaged in armed attack against civilians. It was indeed preaching an extremely radical form of Islam, but it was a peaceful movement in a way. Uh, but soon after that brutal murder uh, of its leadership and attacks on the group by the military, uh, we started seeing such attacks against civilians and government facilities. And it sounds like the, the military has not learned from this past mistake. And most recently, um, as you may recall, on 12 and 13 December, um, and the military killed members of the Islamic movement of Nigeria in Zaria, which is also in the north part, um, you know, killing several and arresting the movement's leader and detaining him in communicado without charge since 13 December. Um, you know, our immediate research and analysis is that there was extremely excessive use of force on the part of the military, um, and some of the measures taken in terms of arresting the leadership and, and the family of the leadership has been unlawful, or at least the legality of those detentions has not been tested before a court of law. This, this kind of behavior could potentially lead to such further radicalization and divisions mm -hmm. among society. And it's quite regrettable that the new administration does not take lessons from mistakes from the past as well. Mm. And Natalia, just to pick your brain, would you think that the problem with the military is because it has been a military that's been inherited from uh, uh, good luck Jonathan? Um, not necessarily. I think that the major problem we're, we're, uh, in our analysis is the fact that there has been no accountability for violations committed by military. It's a culture of impunity that is partly explaining how the military is behaving in this way. I mean, we cannot we can cite one example. Um, Amnesty International research has indicated that there were there are senior members of the military hierarchy who were potentially individually and collectively responsible for some of the war crimes committed in the Northeast. And we've even taken extra steps to name those commanders um, and asking the Nigeria government to suspend them from active duty and launch an independent impartial investigation. Indeed, soon after assuming office, uh, the president suspended two of those individuals we named on, on corruption-related um, causes. But so far, to the best of our knowledge, none of the rest have been investigated, and none of them have been investigated for the crimes where uh, we've highlighted, and, and some of them still remain in authority, in, in a position where they may continue to inflict uh, such violations and crimes against civilians. Um, this, unfortunately, is a regrettable reality in mm. Nigeria. Mm. Accountability, rule of law, and justice um, is not served, is not seen sure. to be exercised. Mm. Let, let me move on and see if uh, we've got our other guests uh, just introducing Tena Ago, an Abuja-based lawyer with several years of legal practice and engagement in public policy, democracy, and democratization uh, policies. Uh, Tena, thank you for joining us on our program. Thank you very much. Now, we were looking really at the issue of uh, the terrorism problem in um, Nigeria, but also looking at uh, really the 
the the military and also some of uh, the injustices that we've seen in that regard. But I also want to move this conversation more also back to the issue of uh, the crackdown on corruption in uh, Nigeria. Uh, political commentators and uh, skeptics have seen uh, Nigerian president actually uh, really realizing that particular promise on cracking down on uh, 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 corruption. Several senior officials of Mr. Jonathan's government have been arrested in relation to the alleged diversion of $2 billion as I highlighted when I started the program. And this $2 billion was meant to buy weapons to fight Boko Haram militants. Uh, do you think this particular crackdown is one that is legitimate? Are we seeing a different style of presidency to the style of uh, Good Luck Jonathan? Of course, every, every president has his agenda. Sure. No question about that. I do not think that uh, uh, President Buhari would be President Buhari if he simply continued with what President Jonathan was doing. So, yes, this is this is high difference. I accept that everyone would have to come with his or her agenda. Mm-hmm. Now, as to the legitimacy of uh, the fight, of course it is. Over the course of the last so many years, in fact, decades, Nigeria has progressively gone down in terms of its stature in the world, in terms of uh, its uh, prestige uh, in standing among the countries of the world. Don't forget, this country used to be, uh, for many, many years, the uh, chairman of the uh, frontline states during the fight against apartheid, even though it's not geographically close to the uh, apartheid uh, uh, southern African states. That was how respected Nigeria was. That doesn't mean there was no corruption then, but it was at the minimal level compared to what it has been over the, so, the past so many decades, uh, at least the last 16 years. So the president is on, on course in trying to restore Nigeria's integrity, and the starting point is to get everyone to fall in line, to do what is right. I don't see anything wrong at all with that. Morally and legally, he's pursuing his uh, fight within the ambit of the law. If there's anyone who has issues with it, he's free to contest his uh, approach and that the courts are there to vindicate them or the president. And also, staying with you, Tena, is the issue of uh, terrorism. Uh, Netanet earlier on was alluding to the fact that there has been promises to crack down on terrorists and Boko Haram, but there hasn't been any concrete steps to see that particular movement actually taking place from the um, Nigerian government. We haven't seen anything concrete, actions that have been taken by the government. What's what's your view on, on, on that contention? Well, uh, my view would be to ask those who are looking for concrete steps taken to spell out what, the con- what those concrete steps ought to have been within the time span that the president has been in office. This is a president who came into office and declared to the whole world that he wasn't even given handouts, I mean, handover notes until the eve of uh, the handover, which then tied him down to studying those voluminous notes and making sense of them after which he spent time trying to uh, pick through the team that was uh, left behind by the last president administratively, that is in the civil service, after which he then appointed his team. These are concrete steps. In order for you to fight a battle of this nature, you have to have your own people in the driving seat. So when people say no concrete steps taken in seven months, it is for them to point out what concrete steps ought to have been taken in seven months that have not been taken, that could have been taken then I would, be, I would be more than willing to hold that conversation. But other than that, this is just talking points. Well, we'll come back to some of those uh, particular points. Maybe I, I will take that uh, uh, question back to Nitinet Bile after this uh, particular break. Uh, today, we're focusing on Nigeria, looking at uh, the challenges and the progress uh, that uh, we have seen during President Muhammadu Buhari's presidency. It's not a long time, but we're really trying to see if there's actually a different uh, form of governance and style in terms of uh, the difference between Buhari and uh, a good luck, Jonathan. 
Minister and then looking at the state of some of the challenges uh, that we've seen in Nigeria. Currently, we know that the U.S. crude oil prices tumbled to a 12-year low on last weekend. Uh, this was prompting OPEC member Nigeria to call for an emergency meeting to address collapsing prices that have drained the coffers of Africa's largest economy. So uh, very trying times for Nigeria itself. But hey, let's come back to our break. We're going to go to a break quickly and then when we come back we're going to look at some of the concerns there that were highlighted by Tenago to some of the sentiments made there by Netanet Belay. The time right now is 11.29 a Central African time. Remember, hey, we want to hear from you plus 27796957930 that's plus 27796957930 Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Just a reminder, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on DSTV on the audio bouquet, we are on Channel 902. You can also stream us live on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. And today we're speaking at uh, uh, the progress and challenges facing President Muhammadu Buhari as Nigerians look up to him and his administration in uh, 2016. I think this is one that we'll have to follow up also later in the year. But Natanet Bile, what are your thoughts there uh, around some of the concerns that were brought by uh, uh, Tenago in terms of the, t- the time span that um, uh, you know uh, Muhammadu Buhari has been in power for? I'm sure that is has created some constraints and some limitations. As I mentioned, that uh, you know dealing with terrorism is not uh, a quick fix. Thank you, and I'm I'm not completely agree with what my learned colleague from Nigeria has highlighted. Um, and the president has only been in power uh, about seven months now, and the cabinet has only been formed in November. And the president comes at a time where Nigeria and the government administration is, is facing serious challenge on the economy side, uh, reconstituting a new administration, uh, and fighting uh, you know, a, a gruesome, brutal um, armed group in the northeast. So there's no denying there's a number of challenges that the government has faced um, uh, in its first few months in office. Um, and just also to be very factually correct, uh, the lack of progress that Amnesty International has been highlighting uh, since since early days of Buhari's in office is is our call for accountability for serious human rights violations and crimes committed in the context of the conflict by both parties, Boko Haram and the Nigerian military. And we still believe that no significant steps have been taken to address that, and which is regrettable. Uh, in terms of the, the government response to the threat posed by Boko Haram, um, there is definitely significant steps taken by the administration. Um, as you may recall, um, uh, Boko Haram was, um, controlling uh, towns and villages in the northeast and was expanding its sphere of influence um, quite a lot. Um, the, the military's significant advance against Boko Haram um, um, has managed in the recapture of several towns and and uh, and release of a number of abductees out of it. So there's, there's a definitely undeniable progress made in this regard. However, um, despite these military advances by the government, uh, Boko Haram still continues to pose significant threat to civilians. In our estimates, uh, in 2015 alone, um, um, 
over 4,000 civilians have been killed by Boko Haram in the northeast. And during the seven months of Buhari's administration, that is between June to December, um, over 2,300 civilians may have been killed by Boko Haram. You know? And so the, this group continues to, to pose serious threats to civilians by killing civilians, burning homes, stealing property, and even at times continuing abduction of residents and etc. So it is still a threat, it's not just a threat posed against Nigeria, but as we've seen it, Boko Haram's operation seems to be expand, expanding into Cameroon, Niger, and Chad to a certain extent, um, and, and etc. So that is what we wanted to highlight. I mean, at, um, that there is a coordinated military response to, to, to the threat posed by Boko Haram, which to a certain extent seems to be uh, shared, you know, um, resulting in advances, but uh, Boko Haram continues to pose serious threats. Um, and one significant, one area which the government is yet to take any meaningful step um, is, is in the area of accountability. Um, a lot of crimes have been committed in Nigeria, serious crimes, thousands have died, thousands have been executed and murdered by mm, Boko Haram mm, and mm. Nigeria sure. military as well. Mm. And no one is yet held accountable for those. Mm. Uh, Tina, it seems like, uh, it, it seems like uh, it's, it's a cultural thing or something that seems to be an ongoing thing in, in Nigeria to see these kind of events that were highlighted but by Net. Uh, and, and it seems like if we don't get those kind of issues that are on the ground uh, dealt with, it's going to be a hard way, f- way forward for the country. Uh, uh, I'm sorry? Uh, we were talking just about some of the issues that were highlighted by Netanet on the ground, the whole military uh, issue uh, that he's highlighted. I'm not sure if you were hearing him clearly, but what are some of your responses to some of his uh, concerns there? Well, I have listened to, uh, to, uh, to him talk about um, Boko Haram in the Northeast. He's continuing uh, to pause a significant threat and challenge uh, to uh, villages and uh, population uh, centers in the Northeast. Uh, my response to that would be that, yes, while Boko Haram has yet to be completely um, overrun, the truth remains that if you have been keeping pace with Nigerian development, uh, there was a time, the last quarter, or just before the last quarter of last year, or shortly after President Buhari assumed the office that Boko Haram was attacking like almost daily uh, locations in the northeast. However, in the last so many months, sometimes it's like once in a month, once in a week or so that you hear about some Boko Haram attack. That itself is indicative of the kind of progress that has been made against that set. Um, of course, it is impossible when you are dealing with a non-traditional um, uh, army like Boko Haram, a terrorist group like Boko Haram, to keep pace with when they are going to strike next because they, they usually will go after the soft target, and that's what they do. That's the reason why you, have atta- you had attacks in uh, Paris killing 100-plus uh, people. That's the reason you have, even in the U.S., you have attacks by uh, lone wolf attackers. So, yes... Uh, I am sure the government is um, aware of uh, the challenge that Boko Haram uh, posed. But don't forget, this Boko Haram has been on for nearly six years or more. Mm. And this regime has only come into place in the last seven months. And I believe that the steps that they've taken will ultimately pay off. Uh, President Buhari galvanized the international community uh, into some sort of uh, agreeing to what he went to uh, the G7 meeting in Germany. He went to uh, Paris to meet with uh, the French president. He went to neighboring countries, uh, Niger, Chad, went to Benin Republic, and obtained their cooperation and support in this fight. And now uh, he went to Cameroon as well. So I think that these are steps that we pay off with time. They are not going to be uh, immediate, maybe, but they will pay off with time because there's now a coordinated uh, response to Boko Haram. Not mm. only within mm. Nigeria, but across mm. the borders. Mm. So let's let's not forget that mm. uh, there's still a lot that could be done. Of course, if everything were finished, then there will be no need to talk about Boko Haram in the same place. True. I'm saying there is some progress being made along that path as well. Mm. 
as to the issue of the crimes having been committed, there's always crime being committed at any time, anywhere in the world. Uh, in the uh, in the most regulated democracy, I mean, in the uh, most dictatorial state, you will have crime taking place. My understanding of his concern is whether things are not being done. Uh, I refer back to my earlier answer that this new president is taking steps to secure his base so that he can wage his fight. Only a day or two ago, the information minister listed a number of people, I think 15, who together still fight over 5.5 billion U.S. dollars between 2006 and 2013 or thereabouts. And it's now that we have a minister that they are now beginning mm. to dig into the details mm. of what happened. Mm. So I'm saying uh, to the extent that this guy is taking steps to show that he's serious about what he's doing, let's give him time. Sure. At the end of uh, another seven months from now, or even five months, a year from now, we can say with certainty whether the steps he has taken are wrong or whether he is not going to sure. make any headway at all with mm. the way he's doing going about the fight. Mm. Well, let, let me let me try to wrap up this conversation in some way. Netanet, what are your thoughts? How does Nigeria move forward? What are the key points, as was highlighted by Tina Gold? Let's give um, President Buhari a chance. Uh, coming the next seven months or so, we might see something. So moving forward, how do we deal with some of these challenges? What would your recommendations be? Thank you. Um, our recommendations are straightforward. Um, I mean, we've been quite um, hopeful um, with the with immediate statement that came out from President Buhari in June in relation to crimes committed by Nigerian military and, and Boko Haram, a commitment to investigate these serious allegations and crimes. Uh, that was soon followed up with another statement wherein the President committed that the first task of the incoming Attorney General will be to investigate such gross crimes and violations committed by Nigerian military. To date, no meaningful steps have been taken. Um, and, uh, those individuals who are suspected and reasonably suspected of having committed war crimes and crimes against humanity, some of them continue to, to, mm-hmm. to, to be in the chain of command. Sure. Um, thousands of civilians, thousands of families deserve truth and justice. The military has extrajudicially executed and murdered thousands of civilians, tortured countless civilians. Mm. Over 8,000 people have died in detention. Mm. So how do we turn that around? How do we turn that around? Sure. This, all of this demands an urgent, immediate and decisive state by President Buhari to investigate these allegations. And a starting point would be to publicly herald the launch of an independent, official and impartial investigations into these allegations. This must be seen. And, and those individuals who risk reasonably suspected of committing this crime need to be suspended from duty pending these investigations, mm. fair, impartial, independent investigations. The world, Nigerians, civilians in the Northeast need to see justice being served. Mm. And we're not seeing it today. Sure. Let, let me also wrap it up with you, Tenago. I know there's other areas uh, that we also didn't look at in terms of uh, looking at the arms deal as well. It seems like uh, uh, Jonathan, I mean, um, <laughs> President Muhammadu Bihari, I have to get used to this as well as a presenter. President Muhammadu Bihari is actually also looking at that particular arms deal. Uh, seems like uh, some members of the military are also going to be investigated in that particular aspect of things. But as we move forward, as Nigeria, what do you think needs to be done uh, to to actually see a smooth uh, economy, especially in Nigeria? Thank you very much. Um, Before I come to the economy, let me just quickly uh, uh, chip in a word uh, with reference to my uh, uh, colleague uh, as to what ought to be done. I think we are on the same page. The ultimate is for justice to be served. Uh, we appear to have some divergence of opinion or view on it as to when this ought to be done. I'm trying to, uh, to suggest that so long as this uh, diligence uh, and uh, consensus work being taken to secure justice in the end, it may take a while, time to come. Don't forget that William Ruto, Vice President of Kenya, uh, is still at the, uh, uh, at the International Court, the National Criminal Court. Uh, his president, uh, Uhuru Kenyatta, was taken there 
and what the acts for which they were taking that took place many years back. The important thing about criminal justice is that this time does not run against the crown. So it will take it may take some some while. And the president is trying to act within the law. Uh, a few days ago, a number of uh, high-ranking military officers were questioned by the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission in this country. They have not been done before. Those are concrete steps being taken to rein in people who may have been responsible in one way or the other for doing what was wrong, either killing people or, as a result of their actions, people haven't been killed. So I agree completely that there's need for justice to be served. But I seem to think, from my perspective, that steps are being taken that will ultimately achieve that. That's my beat on that. As to the economy, let me tell you something that is not politically correct. I am, in a way, very happy with the way that the oil uh, prices are plunging. Because this is, this will force Nigeria out of its uh, sense of forced security uh, on uh, relying on oil as a main source of um, income for the country. Uh, I think we have tremendous resources in many, many other ways that we have not really paid attention to because of the ease with which uh, oil was bringing in money. So, yes, we will suffer a little bit. I welcome that. But we are going to come out stronger. The economy is going to bounce back and is not going to be dependent on one leg. That is the oil leg as it used to be. And so, to that extent, uh, while there is some temporary uh, suffering that will, will, will take place, believe me, Nigerians have a resilience it's a resilient uh, spirit. We are going to bounce through it in the end. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for giving us your time. That's Tena Ago, an Abuja-based lawyer with several years of legal practice and engagement in public policy, democracy, and uh, also uh, democratization policies. Thank you as well to Netanet Bile. Uh, thank you for joining us once again on our program. He's the Africa Director for Research and Advocacy from Amnesty International. That's how we wrap up the conversation. Thank you both for giving us your time. Thank you. Thank you. Takes us to 11.45 Central African time. We've got Wisani Matebula standing by. We'll get our economics news after this break. We'd like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven. 82332-5905 or email us it's at info at channelafrica.org you can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa numerical 1 or write to us at the address PO Box 91313 Auckland Park Johannesburg 2006 Republic of South Africa we look forward to hearing from you Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. Somalia has received the pledge of aid for 50 million U.S. dollars from Saudi Arabia this month. On the same day, it announced it was cutting ties with Saudi rival Iran. The government, which did not confirm or deny the pledge, has said there was no link between long-running Saudi financial support and its diplomatic decision to break ties with Iran. A document from the Saudi embassy in Nairobi to the Somali embassy in the Kenyan capital showed that the kingdom pledged 20 million US dollars in budget support and another 30 million dollars for investment in Somalia. The two grants would come from the Saudi Development Fund. Meanwhile, counter-terrorism measures implemented by some countries are threatening the flow of money sent home by Somalis living abroad. That's according to UN human rights experts. Somalis send an estimated $1.2 billion each year to relatives and friends in their homeland who mostly use the money to cover basic household expenses. The experts fear any decrease could severely affect people in the Horn of Africa nation in addition to undermining the political and economic stabilization achieved in recent years. The largest Somali communities can be found in countries such as the United States, the United Kingdom, 
and Australia. The money expatriates send home accounts for at least 20% of Somalia's gross domestic product. South African Finance Minister Pravin Godan says uh, the Davos delegation from South Africa will reassure potential investors that uh, the electricity crisis situation in the country has been resolved and stabilized. President Jacob Zuma will lead a delegation of cabinet ministers and business leaders to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. The annual gathering starts on Wednesday and runs for three days. Godan says uh, the key to garnering investors' interest in business in South Africa is to assure them that not only is the power situation stable, but it remains consistent. On the energy front, as Mr. Mabuza pointed out on Friday, the chair of BUSA, we can go back to Davos and say we've stabilized the situation. Now we need to go beyond stabilization and ensure that there's consistent performance, both from ESCOM, but also the huge investments that are taking place in IPPs. Let's look at your financial indicators. The rand is trading at 16.61 to the US dollar at 11.52, Botswana Pula and at 11. 0.09 against the Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.70 to the British pound and 0.91 against the euro. Commodities now gold $1,092, platinum $834 a fine ounce. The spot price of Brent crude oil has recovered a little bit now at $29.20 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. Now we have figured Lingwati to give us our sports. In our sports update, this hour we're serving off with tennis news. South African and seventh seed Khutatsu Munjani secured a straight sets victory over world number two Yui Kamiji of Japan to move into the semi-finals of the Melbourne Open on the earlier on Tuesday. The Melbourne Open is an International Tennis Federation ITF Level 2 event, part of the Uniqlo Wheelchair Tennis Tour. Monjane produced a masterclass performance to beat her Japanese counterpart 6-3 and 6-2 to advance into their last four in Melbourne. Wheelchair Tennis South Africa's media officer, Anthony Murutani, has more. This morning, Munjani secured a straight set victory over the world number two, Yu uh, Gamiji of Japan. So she got an avenge to move into the semifinals of the Melbourne Open, which is an International Tennis Federation uh, Level 2 event. This is huge for her. The South African and seven seed produced a masterclass performance to beat her Japanese counterpart at 6-3-6-2 to advance into the last four in Melbourne. Munjani's win against uh, the top seed Kamiji right now means she will, be, she will take on the third seed uh, Germany's Sabine Ellerbrook for a place in the final. In the quads event, top-ranked South African Lucas Sitole has also hoisted the South African flag high. Murutani explains. The quads tournament actually started today because I think it's a, it's a draw of eight. It started today, uh, they were playing their quarterfinals. Uh, the top-ranked South African Lucas Sitole, he took no time uh, to, uh, to, take, uh, to knock out the Chile's uh, Pablo Araya, six last, six last. And she, he'll, he'll, in the next round, play Anthony Cottrell of the Great Britain in the semi-final, who overpowered his uh, Davidson on, uh, of Australia. So chances are Lucas will take this one because him and Ot- Cottrell, they've played uh, together for 12 times, and Cottrell has never won any match. So he should make it to the semi-final, to, to the final. And in hockey news, South Africa's men's hockey team, who fielded six debutants, came within six minutes of inflicting their first test match and on Ireland in more than a decade at Hadleyville in Cape Town on Monday. The Rio 2016 Olympic Games bound Ireland recovered from a 2-0 halftime deficit and then 3-2 down to maintain an 11-match unbeaten run against South Africa that goes back to 1997. Chris Cargo nailed the final equaliser with six minutes left on the clock for Ireland to end a three-all draw. South African head coach Fabian Gregory praised the maturity of his young team. South Africa meets Spain in an official test match on Wednesday night. 
In tennis news, more news of fixing world tennis has been rocked by allegations that the game's authorities have failed to deal with widespread match-fixing just as Australian Open, the first Grand Slam tournament of the year, kicked off in Melbourne. Tennis authorities rejected reports by BBC and online BuzzFeed News, which said 16 players who have been ranked in the top 50 have been repeatedly flagged to the Tennis Integrity Unit over suspicions they had thrown matches in the past decade. Betting consultant Scott Ferguson. Tennis by its nature is ripe for corruption because it's one-on-one sport, so it's very easy to manipulate. Um, There has been history of match fixing going for quite some time but the problem is it's it, most of it's at lower level but there's a few ones that break the bigger names uh, and that's what we're seeing at the moment um, and the accusation of the ATP and other other uh, governing bodies in the sport just not acting on those bigger names uh, for fear of it's not it's too hard to prosecute or who knows who knows what Ferguson says there are patents that would have caused alarm among the betting industry Oh, regularly, and that's where all this comes from. Uh, some of the some of the data is purely for model. Uh, most most bookmakers and professional professional punters and traders will tell you that there are times that, that things just don't match their model. There, there's something suspicious up going on. The match has been scripted for some reason, uh, and you have to factor that into your betting. You either switch off or you evaluate the circumstances and, and see what's going on. That's your sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for being part of our Channel Africa family. Remember, go to our at African Dialogue handle on uh, Twitter. You can be part of uh, our conversations there at African Dialogue. Uh, we see that there's been a couple of people going there. We want to increase the volume of the people on our at African Dialogue handle uh, this year. Or you can go to at uh, Channel Africa one at the end. Don't forget our Facebook page. It's uh, t- simply titled Channel Africa. That's Channel Africa www.channelafrica.co.za is where you can also find our podcast after each show you can go to the multimedia section uh, click on African Dialogue and you will get our programming there uh, we'll be back tomorrow and uh, tomorrow we'll be looking at the drought situation in uh, southern uh, Africa it seems to be one that's very 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 serious currently a lot of uh, implications and there's a huge impact on uh, the economies of those southern African countries so that's what we'll be looking at tomorrow from me Benjamin Mushataman until next time God bless